Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read them for you. Look back at verse 21 first. Submit to one another out of reverence for Messiah. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Messiah is the head of the congregation, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the congregation submits to Messiah, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, it really would have been nice if that was it, (laughs) at least from my perspective. But it goes on. Verse 29, husbands, love your wives, just as Messiah loved the congregation and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing uh, with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant congregation without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Messiah does the congregation of believers. For we are members of his body, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Messiah and the body of believers, the called out ones, the ecclesia. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Oh my goodness. Now... When you reflect on this passage, let me just put this a little bit into context, because this is rich, and this is deep. And let me say that at the outset, uh, this is an area where, well, I do not come as an expert at all. I feel that in many respects, I continue to grapple with the truths here. I suppose all of us who are married do, because we are sinners. But it is something that I grapple with my whole entire married life. One, because we are sinners, so not, none of us submit to our husbands rightly or love our, uh, our wives properly. But that doesn't exonerate us from what Scripture says here. There have been those, and another reason why I struggle in speaking about this is divorce is so rampant in our nation, perhaps in our world, but in our nation, 
one out of every two marriages end in divorce. Is that not the current statistics? I haven't kept up on it, but it can't be much better than that. And the really terrible part of it all is that's no different in the body of believers. That's as equally true inside the congregation as is outside in our nation. That is what is terrible about this. And yet here, Paul is instructing on how marriages are supposed to work, how couples are to interact with each other. Now, some might say, if only you knew my husband. You thought I was going to say my wife, didn't you? (laughs) If only you knew my spouse. You would understand why it is so difficult, impossible, challenging to make this work. But let me say this. That ultimately is no excuse. I was thinking about this in light of Messiah's ministry. He says you can do all things through Messiah, first of all. But secondly, I kept thinking of the people Yeshua healed. Can you imagine the man who is at the, uh, the pool of Siloam, who had been there for 30-something years? And the Lord says to him, rise up and walk. My reaction would be, are you kidding me? It's been 37 years I've been laying here, sitting here, and you just tell me to rise up and walk. Think about this. Messiah didn't just say, be risen up and walk. He told him to do something that he hadn't been able to do his entire life. That God enabled him to do. But he had to put his work into it. He had to move his muscles, his arms, which he had never used, which he never had trusted. And he had to trust the word of Messiah who said, rise up and walk. And what about those who couldn't walk that he said, rise up and walk and carry your bed? That must have been tough. What about those individuals who were blind that he said, I want you to open your eyes and see. How frightening would it be if you opened your eyes and couldn't see? But they were willing and able to open their eyes, trusting the Lord to make it possible for them to do the impossible, to see when they couldn't see before. What about individuals with withered hands? The Lord says, stretch out your hand. And the Lord says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. You might say, I can't do it. Just like the blind, just like the lame, just like the weak. We can do it in the power of God's spirit. If we so choose to do as God's word instructs us to do. So some might say they're not able to, but they are able to, is the point. We ultimately really don't want to, as there are many things we really don't want to do. Now, please don't put anyone in your minds about the struggles they have. I'm speaking about what the Word of God says. Think of only your own life, not of others. And the challenges before you, whatever they might be. Because we are able. In fact, if you look at this passage, this is really remarkable because the passage is about submission. Look what he says in verse 21. Submit 
to one another out of reverence for Messiah. Loving your wife is a work of submission to the Lord. Submitting to your husband is a work of submission to the Lord. Obeying your parents is a work of submission, submission to the Lord. Not frustrating your children and raising them right is out of submission to the Lord and to one another. Serving your employer properly is out of submission to the Lord. Employers treating their employees right is out of submission to the Lord. This is about submission. It's about submission to one another and ultimately submission before our Heavenly Father. And notice how he says this. He says, submit yourself to one another's. But look, we don't talk about wives and husbands. We talk about husbands and wives. So why does Paul speak of wives and husbands? Because the issue is submission. We don't talk about children and parents. We talk about parents and children. So why does Paul speak first of children? Because this is about submission. We speak about employers and employees, but here Paul speaks about employees and employers. So why does he speak of wives, children, and employees first? Because his focus is on submission. And therefore, as one submits to the Lord, as one submits to the work of Messiah in our lives, the impossible is possible. And that has been shown already to us because you and I are children of God. An impossible work that only God could do for us and through us. He is making us more holy every day. It may not seem that way, but he is conforming you into the image of his son. Now, how is this possible? And let me just say this. This is also critical. Paul, in the second part of his letter, deals with the practical application of theological truths found in the first three chapters. And he's talked about what our attitudes ought to be like, what our behavior ought to be like. And in the second part of this practical section, he focuses on relationships. He talked first about what's going on inside of us. Now he's going to talk to us about what is happening among us. Because life is meant to be lived in relationships. And the most critical of all relationships is the husband and wife. The second most important relationship is children and parents. And the third most important relationship is about those we work with. That just about covers everything. Husbands and wives, children and parents, and where you are in the workplace. Relationships is what Paul is now focusing our attention on. And the need for submission in our relationships with one another. Remember, Paul's concerned about the body of believers at Ephesus. He wants this body of believers to act, live, and manifest the very presence of Messiah in their midst. This will necessitate that we are submitted to one another. This means that there needs to be ongoing, meaningful relationships with each other. But it starts with husbands and wives. And it requires reliance upon God. Notice what these three uh, contexts or these three groupings of relationships are bordered within. Look at the text. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And then he tells us how the controlling work of the Holy Spirit manifests himself in our lives. And there are four participles in the Greek language that are used here to show how the filling of the Spirit is made known in our lives. Look at them with me. He first says in verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first thing we're to do is to be speaking. It's a participle, speaking to one another the right way with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Secondly, he says, not only ought we to be speaking to one another, we ought to be also singing and making music. Singing and making music are two participles that are put together. So if we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to speak to one another with psalms. We're going to sing and make music in our heart to the Lord. And then look, he says, we're going to be giving thanks to God the Father. But he says one other participle. And the problem is, in our English translations, we break the Bible up into chapters and verses, and we don't realize the connections. The fourth participle is verse 21, submitting ourselves to one another. One of the manifestations of the filling of the Spirit is submission to one another. Filling of the Spirit in submission means wives submit to their husbands. Being filled with the Spirit means husbands loving their wives. Being filled with the Spirit means children obeying their parents. Being filled with the Spirit means parents doing well by their children. Being filled with the Spirit means employees serving their employers faithfully. Being filled with the Spirit means employers treating their employees properly. That's what Paul is talking about. He's saying we need to be filled with the Spirit. And when we are filled with the Spirit and controlled by Him, we will be speaking the Word of God to one another. We will be singing to the glory of God. We will be thanking the Lord for what He has done. And we will be submitting to one another. That is what Paul is telling. And now he's describing what submission looks like. It looks like a marriage that works. It looks like parents and children that respect and get along together. It looks like workers who work together working in a proper workplace where people are accepted and nurtured. Now notice the back end. Where does Paul go? He starts with being filled with the Spirit, but because this is so necessary and because this is so difficult, what does he conclude with? He tells us there is spiritual warfare afoot and therefore we need to put on the whole armor of God. You cannot submit to your husband properly if you don't have the whole armor of God because the evil one wants to destroy your marriage. You cannot love your wife properly unless you put on the whole armor of God because the evil one wants to destroy your marriage. You cannot obey your parents properly or love your children rightly unless you have the full armor of God because the evil one wants to destroy your family. And you cannot serve your employer or your, the employer be kind to his employee unless you put on the whole armor of God because the evil one wants to destroy these areas of relationships. It starts with being filled with the Spirit. It concludes with putting on the armor of God and it manifests itself in living in the way Paul is describing. You know, I've never seen that before. I've never seen these things before. But it makes sense, doesn't it? And the word of God is clear to us what we need to be about. Now, let me say this. Paul is not writing at a time when marriage was honored in his society any more than it is in our society. In fact, during the Roman Empire, that was the sewer of 
ancient empires when it came to relationships. Jerome himself writes of a man who is married to a woman. He was married for his 23rd time and the woman for her 26th time. Now, I know some of us may be challenging that, but we're still pretty far away from 26 and 23. That's the Roman Empire. That's what Paul was dealing with in Ephesus. And remember, at Ephesus, they had the Temple of Diana, one of the eight most great wonders of the world, filled with male and female prostitutes for worship of all things. In first century in Rome, you weren't married to a wife who you loved. You married a woman to take care of your household and your children. But you didn't love her. You had others that, by which you could satisfy those other needs that you might have. Paul is telling these believers who are living in this kind of atmosphere, in the heart of sexual promiscuity, and he's telling them, husbands and wives, be joined together, love one another, and be devoted to one another. Now, Paul is saying this as well because this is the key of all relationships that exist. It's the first of all relationships. Remember, God created man. And after each day, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. And then when man is created, he says, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good. That the man is alone. If we stop at the wrong place, we could get the wrong idea. It is not good that the man should be alone. He needs to be in relationship. Now, he could have had the man receive two cavalier King Charles Spaniels. And he would have had a friendship. (laughs) He could have provided that. So he wouldn't be alone. Wouldn't be alone. But God doesn't. He provides a woman from himself. And he performs the very first marriage, which is the first relationship. That tells us marriage is the most important relationship that exists in the human context. Nothing should interfere with our marriages. It is first and foremost. It is the work of God in our lives. That's why Messiah says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. There was a time when I used to do wedding services, I would never quote that passage, that phrase, because it was so negative. I mean, everything is so good, and then at the right end of thing, if anyone objects to this, let them speak now forever, all this peace, let no one, you know, separate what God has joined together. Then I realized that was Yeshua's own words. I put it back in the service. But I didn't realize it was his words. And I just thought this was just typical, you know, marriage ceremony, so I figured I'd just take it out. But is that something? Messiah said, let no one separate. And we just treat his words in such cavalier ways. If we feel we are not able, we say, I'm separating. When Messiah himself has said, let no one separate. When God joins Adam and Eve together, 
it becomes the basis for all other realities in our society. It was in the home that children were taught, where later we would have schools evolve. Which means if families break apart, our school system crumbles as well. That's why we have such a terrible school system. Because parents aren't involved in the education of their children. You could go through anything. That the home was the place where people were tended. Hospitals. The home was always the place where everything went on. It is the primary place of relationships. So we cannot talk highly enough about marriage and its significance. And Paul here does that. Now, I can't take a whole lot of time to go into all of the details that are presented here because we need to move through. But let me just make reference to a couple of things here. Let me talk a little bit about wives submitting to their husbands. (laughs) And this is an area that (laughs) often is just glossed over, you know, and I guess it's easier for me because I'm not a wife. But no, it's, it's pretty hard to say. Let me say this too. I don't want to speak too much out of personal experience. I've had my own challenges in my wife, in, in my marriage relationship with my wife, Mary Lou. We've had our struggles. We've had our struggles through physical ailments that we have borne the, the entirety of our marriage and part of our courtship. We've dealt with childlessness where we did not have our own child. We dealt with the process of adoption and the emotional rigors that comes with that. We've dealt with the raising of a son. One is enough, believe me. No, maybe not, maybe not. But, uh, and we've seen the Lord do marvelous things in his life. There are challenges along the way, but God has given us a wonderful young man that we are extremely proud of. Mary Lou and I have been married 39 years. And we have, we've committed ourselves to each other, not because she thinks I'm deserving, but because God has brought us together. And we are to be obedient to him and to the vows that we make. And we have been to one another. When I think of wives submitting to one's husband, as Paul says, now look at this. He says, you do this as to the Lord. All of this ultimately comes down to our relationship with God. It is not because I am worthy of her submission. I am not. Any more than she is worthy of my love, she is not. It is because God has called us to submit and because he is worthy of our obedience. Even when I may not feel loving toward my wife, or she doesn't feel submissive toward her husband. We need to be both loving and submissive to our God. And therefore, it is to him ultimately that we must turn. And it is he alone that will hold us together if we honor him as unto the Lord, which is what Paul is saying here. He tells us the husband is the head of the wife. And that's because the woman was made from the man. And it's the woman who was named by the man. That's critically important because where there is naming, there is authority. 
And so when God gives us a new name, we are under his authority. And when the man names the woman, it's because she is under his authority. That is his wife. Women are not under the authority of men. They're under the authority of their husband, is what Paul is talking about. Now, when I think about my life and how Mary Lou has manifested submissiveness to me, it is incredibly mind-blowing as I think about it. I started reflecting on our history together. Mary Lou is a homebody. She can stay by her family from the beginning to the end of her life. She would have had no problem staying in New Jersey when we were there, although now she would never go back there. <laughs> she would have no problem staying in the Boston area with the friends and people who became family. She would have no problem staying in Annapolis where we had spent 18 years. She can hunker down for the long haul where she is loved, embraced, where there is uh, family associations. I don't just mean physical family associations, but family associations that came in many of the churches we are part of, the fellowships we are part of, the Bible study groups we are part of. Mary Lou is not a big risk taker. She is not a traveling person. She doesn't get a restless. And yet, Mary Lou supported me when I was in college. She was working. In fact, Mary Lou had her driver's license before me. Mary Lou had a job before me. You know, I could go down the list. But she's working full time and I'm in school just enjoying the atmosphere of academics. Mary Lou then was willing to come with me to Texas, where we were for about a year, year and a half. Mary Lou actually came to like Texas, Dallas. I never could accept, I could never go back there in a million years. From my voice to your ears. Yeah. <laughs> Dallas was not the place for me. Mary Lou was able to adjust, made some great friends there. But when it was time to move on, in a short time, we were there a year and a half, to move of all places to Boston, Mary Lou is ready to go. In fact, I have a photograph of her driving to U-Haul with, unfortunately, a Yankee hat. But nevertheless, <laughs> she was behind the wheel. And for the next 15 years, we were in Boston, 45 minutes north, and then we were about... 30, 40 minutes south in the town of Sharon, where we served. And then when it was time to go to Annapolis, Mary Lou is there. And for 18 years, we served in that area. And now for three years, here she is in Los Angeles. When Paul talks about submission, he's not saying the woman becomes a doormat. The woman just does whatever the man, her husband, tells her to do. That's not what submission is about. But submission is about supportiveness. Submission is about community, caring. It's about team involvement. Mary Lou came reluctantly, 
But she doesn't stay reluctantly. She is here supporting me in my ministry. And thus granting me the freedom that I can have and need to serve you. And anyone else the Lord puts in my path. She doesn't get the accolations that many get here or anywhere else. But I could not be here if she wasn't submissive to this change in our lives. When Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, that's what Mary Lou has done time and time again. She has not always been happy about it. And it's not always been, and it never has been, easy. But because of God's word about what it means to submit, she has done to the best of her ability and the power of God to be that and to do that for me. Without which, I could never have served the Lord to the degree and in the manner and with the longevity that I've been able to do. So wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Be sound counsel. Be supportive in love. Be an encouragement, a partner. One that comes alongside and is ready to be a part of what your husband is into and what your husband is being led to do as God leads. The corollary of this is that husbands are to love their wives. Now he spends much more time here. And look how often Messiah is made reference to. The husband is the head of the wife as Messiah is the head of the body. The congregation submits to Messiah. Husbands, love your wives as Messiah loved the body. He says, he who feeds and cares for it just as Messiah does the congregation. Look at verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Messiah and the body of believers. Husbands are then to love their wives. It is here where I find a lot more difficulty in speaking because I need to learn to love Mary Lou more and more. I do not speak as an expert in this matter whatsoever. I speak as a learner. And I speak with regard to what I understand Paul saying. He's telling us it is our responsibility to be caring, nurturing, embracing, and loving our wives. He tells us our love is to be for our wives as Messiah's love is for us. And he says this is a profound mystery. You know, marriage is a union. And there are three mysterious unions in the Bible. There is the union of the triune persons of the Godhead. Father, Son, Messiah are members of one God. This union of persons in the one God. It's a profound mystery. We can talk about it. We can attempt to scrutinize it. We can theologize about it. But at the end of the day, we just say, I don't know. I'm just stating what the scripture says. But how do I understand it? I don't. 
It's a profound mystery. The second profound mystery is how it is that Messiah is both God and man at the same time. I don't know how that's possible. How is it that the Messiah died on the cross for us? He can't do that in his deity because God can't die. And yet he dies an eternal death for you and I. In fact, Revelation chapter 13 says he was crucified before the foundation of the world. I don't have a clue what that means. It is a profound mystery of Messiah being God and man. And the other profound mystery is how two human beings become one. I I don't get that either. And yet we are one. So often in our conflicts, we don't think or act like we're one. But what God has joined together, let no one separate. We are one. Our job is to be filled by the Spirit to manifest our oneness. Our job is to be praying that the evil one does not come in the way of disrupting our oneness. And thus we need to put on the whole armor of God. And it's only by being filled with the Spirit and putting on the armor of God that we can love our wives somewhat like Messiah loves the body. It means, first of all, that we're to be sacrificial in our being. Because that's what Messiah did for us. He gave of himself. When we say, I do, we also are saying a billion I don'ts. And it is to you alone that I am to give my life if God so deems it. We're to love our wives like Messiah loved the body and gave himself for it. We also have another responsibility. Because the Lord not only died for the body of believers, he died for her that he would make it a radiant body, Paul says. Look what he says here. This is extremely convicting. He says, to present her to himself as a radiant body, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless before the Lord. One of our responsibilities is to make our wives more holy. Think about that. To enable our wives to be more radiant. I dare say, if we as husbands looked at our wives as radiant, as unblemished, as sparkling as they will be in the eyes of God, we would be much more willing to do our part in making her a glorious woman in our lives. That's what Paul is saying. He not only died to save her, he died to sanctify her, to set her apart, and to glorify her. And so that is a job we are called to do as husbands, to glorify our wives. If we are weak now, we can start today by saying to the Lord, forgive me for I have sinned and enable me to do the work as a husband that you have called me to do. It is never too late for God 
to empower us to be whom we ought to be to our wives. Paul goes on to say this. We are to love our wives like we love our own bodies, caring for it, naturing it, preserving it. They're to be number one plus in our lives. And so Paul says in verse 31, for this reason, and this is what's so neat, Paul is not bringing us anything new. It sounds new, but it's not new. It may have been new to some of the Ephesians because of the culture and life that they had lived in. But this goes all the way back to Genesis. He's saying this is so because for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two become one. This is a profound mystery. And you know, when I think about this, one Bible teacher had said, based on Revelation 13, verse 8, that Messiah was crucified before the foundation of the world. He said, therefore, everything that happens in the world can be seen as an illustration or indicator of his death in our behalf. I haven't had enough time to really think that through, but it sounds rather interesting to me. If he was crucified before the foundation of the world, that means everything that comes into reality might in some way point to that truth. And so is marriage a symbol of something greater than that we have ever thought about before. God has created us in his image. And God is triune. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are somewhat triune ourselves. We are a body, a soul, and a spirit. Is Paul saying somehow the uniting of a husband and wife physically, somehow uniting soul-ishly, That is, to be united around common interests, common concerns, common likes. And being united in spirit, having a common faith, a common love for the Savior, somehow manifesting the very presence of the triune God. That just as we are created, body, soul, and spirit, each one of those entities come together and reveal God in our midst. I think that is what Paul is trying to say. This is a profound mystery. And we must be careful not to treat it in a cavalier, less than profound manner. So let me conclude with this. All our marriages struggle at times. All our marriages can be spared. The evils of divorce and separation and breakdowns. God can, by his spirit, unite individuals, husband and wives particularly, and an orderly, supportive companionship, partnership together. God can do that miracle in our midst. If we are willing to be filled by his spirit, and we are willing to do battle with the enemy who would seek to work us well. Now, when I think of an example of this kind of thing, I can't help but think of the prophet Hosea. Because the prophet Hosea was told 
to marry a woman, Gomer, who had left her husband, Hosea, in order to engage in prostitution and to marry others. Her last husband put her on the selling block. And God tells Hosea, I want you to go and repurchase, as it were, your wife. Oh my goodness. Who's willing to do that? How many divorces do you know of? You may know of some. But how many divorces do you know of that are even willing to reconsider and reunite with one another? Let alone one who commits adultery. One who becomes a prostitute. One who sells her body to others. And now you're willing to take her back as if she was a virgin. God called Hosea to do just that. And Hosea does. And when he purchases her, she is his slave. He could do whatever he wants now with her. But God tells her, you are to love her. And Hosea does just that. I can tell you stories of some reunited marriages. I can tell you stories of, of divorces as well. But that story of Hosea is one that ought to give us hope. Because God can take a life and change it. He can take a marriage and change it. He can raise the dead and he can raise life to a dead relationship if we are so willing to be filled with the Spirit and to do battle with the enemy over it. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Be a partner to your husband. Be a support to your husband. Be a, an and I was going to say an object, but I don't mean that way. Be an element of respect to your husband. Husbands, love your wives. Give up yourself for your wives. Honor them in such a way that you are working to present them a glorious person. Before the world, before her children, and before the living God. Be one that invests in her spiritual life, as well as in her soulish life, as well as in her physical life. Because we are triune like God is triune. If we do this in our congregation, it will be a place of life and of joy. It will be a place of healing and of wholesomeness. It will be a place that individuals will want to flock to. Because God is making himself known in the hard places and relationships of life. Be a Hosea and devote yourself to one another. For the glory of God and for the benefit of of his body. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your truths found in your word. 
And Lord, this is a hard passage and a hard reality of life. For a woman to submit to her husband knowing of all his foibles, sinfulness, and rebelliousness. And for a husband to love his wife as Messiah loves the body for whom he's given himself up for. Lord, may we set ourselves to this task as as well as many others. That your glory might be seen and your presence would be experienced. For we pray in Messiah's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.